This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Levy Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The weather's warmer, and now those charming bioluminescent creatures are lighting up the night sky. No matter if you call them lightning bugs or fireflies, people are reported on seeing them around the state. So today we'll talk with friend of the show, Claire Graves, about when and where is the best place to see them. Also, we'll talk with James Cummins from Wildlife Mississippi about the Mississippi Conservation Stewardship Bill. And as always, we want to hear your encounters with nature and any pet questions that you might have. So join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. If you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Let's start with you. And I saw uh, online somewhere, and I don't remember where, but there's somewhere a yellow cardinal had been sighted. Oh, yes. The, occasionally that happens. Um, you can imagine that um, if he loses some of his pigment, all that redness, that it, it fades down into a kind of a yellowy color. And I don't know if that one was a male or a female. It's easier to imagine it happening to a female, really, because, you know, she's a brown anyway and probably got a lot of yellow pigments. But, yeah, that's an interesting one. And uh, I guess speaking of that, at home we've been watching um, orchard Oreos and Baltimore Oreos and summer tanagers. And the females of all of – females and young males have a lot of yellow from all of those species and uh, can be confused with other things. So I, I guess I would think if I saw one of the yellow cardinals, that's what I would at first think is that it was a female of one of those species. So let me ask you, is is a Baltimore Oriole primarily orange and black? Yes. Okay, so the baseball team got it right. They did get the colors (laughs) right, yes. In fact, it's like when the sun shines on those things, it is just a golden orange. It's incredibly gorgeous. I can see why any team would want to be affiliated (laughs) with a bird that beautiful. And um, uh, at our house, we mostly hear them. It's amazing how well they can hide. But they're coming to um, our tulip poplar tree and to our mulberries. I talked, gave the big plug last week for mulberries. And uh, it's still fun to sit there and watch. And um, summer tanagers were in there. This morning we had one of the summer tanagers. It's uh, um, young males. And uh, this, I guess it would be a, a male that was born last year. And so they're kind of halfway between being yellow and being red. And he had an odd kind of half of a necklace of yellow and then a, a, a wash of red on everything. And then other spots of yellow, which, of course, kind of blend into looking orangey. So he was a, a real strange-looking bird, but enjoying his um, mulberries. Very good. Oh, I guess if I want to talk about what's going on. So during the day, we're watching birds, and oh, hummingbirds are falling off in numbers. So I think pretty much what I've got left is about six birds, and I'm hoping I'll keep those around and they'll nest. 
but may still be some that are just migrating through. But in the evenings, along with listening to the cricket frogs, we've been enjoying watching treetop flashers, which are um, a different kind of lightning bug or firefly, and um, big dippers that come out in the evening, you know, early. So we've seen those two species, but then for the last three days, we have had some synchronous ones. All right. So they're starting at our house, and we hear that... um, they're about finished down in Covington, the, the big firefly watcher down there. So South Mississippi should be lighting up at night if people want to go out. All right. Very good. Uh, as always, Dr. Major's with us. And Dr. Major, looks like we've got an early pet question on the line. So let's say good morning to Martha calling in from Richton. Go ahead, Martha. You're on the air. Hi. Thank you very much. A few months ago, we acquired a uh, um part Great Pyrenees and who knows what, and I had heard that they're kind of finicky and they have their own personality, of course. She was like a wandering gypsy. She never was taught or anything. I love training dogs. That's going great, but I would like to know how to get her to eat better. She's huge. She turned a year old yesterday, but her appetite to me is just lacking. Okay, great question. What what are you what are you feeding her? What what type of food? Well, I buy blue buffalo. Um, okay. um, she prefers chicken or turkey, so I do that. I buy wet food, the Blue Wilderness. Okay. I've tried different things, uh, different brands of food. Rachel Ray, this and that. She seems to prefer, and I wonder if that's not how she was first raised uh, when they had her as a puppy. She wants uh, food scraps. Now she likes chicken, chicken. You can put beef out there, and it's like, is this all I got? So she may eat it, she may not. You know, this this probably has a lot to do with what, what you just said as far as how she was introduced to food as a puppy. Uh, a lot of the Pyrenees and Pyrenees mix that we see are a little bit on the thin side. Uh, I'm sure you've had her checked out by your veterinarian. And Very much. Uh, be, be sure that there's no parasites, obviously. Uh, they they're they are great dogs, great family dogs, and uh, I always remember uh, one of the sayings about the dogs that they were. I believe they were called the doormat dog because they would kind of look after the household, uh, and of course they were also used for sheep and goats as far as protectors from larger uh, predators. But keep working with her. Uh, certainly, if you don't have on a vitamin supplement, it might be good. Uh, to get a good vitamin supplement, which might help with her appetite. And uh, keep keep working with her. How long have you had her now? We've had her about three months, something like that, going on four months. Um, now, one thing that the vet did when he checked her out and I got all her shots, and I was talking to him about her appetite, he gave her a B12 shot. Sure. She she ate for like three days, and I'm like, right. yay. Now, I can sit right. there, and I'm wondering, okay, do I just not know this breed because we've had different breeds of dogs, and I love training dogs, but it's like, oh, can you please pick that up with your fingers and give it to me, please? <laughs> Which makes me think she may mostly people say, and I'm saying, no, dear. Okay. And so I've taught her a lot of things, but uh, she she, like I said, she prefers people food. But um, 
you know, I try the best dog foods and wet foods and all that. Right. But would it be okay um, to give her a B12 shot or either some B12 vitamins, I guess? Well, I would suggest a good multivitamin, plus you can go with a B12 vitamin. Uh, no need to have to give shots, but if you give shots, I would say you could give them every 10 days, two weeks, uh, and not have a problem with that. But it is temporary. It sounds like she got about three days out of the shot that they gave. Uh, I would suggest, and this is just off the top of my head while we're talking, is to add some uh, chicken to her to her food. Uh, you can chop it up, mix it in with her food, and see if that doesn't help increase her appetite like that. Okay? It, it seems to. So we're trying to, when I cook her something, I'll cook her a little bit. She does love sweet potatoes, so I'm beginning to find things that she likes okay. to eat. But uh, like I said, no most problem. people say. No problem Thank with you so that. much. <clears throat> Thank you. Good luck with her. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, Martha, uh, thanks for the call. Uh, share a quick uh, pet question, or a question, a story. Went to visit my mother in upstate New York for uh, Mother's Day. We stayed at my sister's house. My sister has an older dachshund. And at one time, my brother and I were there, and my sister was out. And so the, the dog, Gordon, would come over, and he would look at me, and he'd kind of bark, bark, bark. And I'm like, why? Well, I'm not sure I know what you want. And so he kind of did this for a little while, and he was close to the little love seat I was sitting in. And then finally, after about 10 minutes, he backed himself up three or four steps, took a, a running start, and leaped up on top of the uh, the love seat and laid down on my leg and went to sleep. So I finally figured out he was actually just trying to work up enough nerve to jump up on the couch. But I guess uh, sometimes with those uh, t- dogs like the dachshunds, that you know, it's, it's a little bit difficult, especially when they get older, to jump. But I was very proud of him for actually doing that. So all, all's well that ends well. Kevin, I think you were in his place. That's probably what it was. <laughs> now that you mention that, that's probably true. He's like, what are you doing up there? That's where I get to lay down. Right. Uh, Dr. Major, um, this is the time of year, I think, when humans get uh, start to be bothered by um, mosquitoes. Uh, do they bother our pets as much as they bother humans? Absolutely. And, of course, they're the prime, prime source of... Uh, uh, spread of heartworm disease. So, yes, they bother them. I don't think they probably, uh, unless there's just a tremendous infestation, I, I don't think they react to the shot, I mean, to the to the bite like we do. A lot of people get pretty inflamed with a mosquito bite. But uh, certainly uh, cats, uh, there is a condition in cats where they have uh, mosquitoes uh, cause a facial type reaction, hair loss or you know, roughened skin, uh, a little bit sensitive there. But, uh, yes, we've got to be aware of mosquitoes. And, of course, we've talked about mosquito control, uh, certainly empty any standing water that might be around uh, where they could actually breed. And it doesn't take long from the time that uh, mosquito lays its eggs until you have mosquitoes uh, actually able to get out and, and go, I think less than a week. So... Uh, there are things you can do that are on a natural type basis as opposed to having to spray some sort of insecticide that might kill other uh, insects as well. And uh, again, always good re- uh, that you always remind us about this, but keep uh, you know your, your flea control, uh, your tick control, and also that heartworm control. That's very important to stay on top of that uh, to keep our pets healthy. Absolutely. That's a good point.
All right, time for our first break of the hour. When we get back, we will welcome back to the show the Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi, James Cummins. He'll talk about the latest work of Wildlife Mississippi and the Mississippi Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund, so stay tuned. Join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. You can uh, call in today to talk with us. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can always send an email to the show as well to animals at mpbonline.org. Got two guests to talk to this hour. Uh, later in the hour, we'll talk about... Uh, Fireflies with uh, Claire Graves. And just in a minute, we're going to talk to James Cummins, uh, the Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi. Before we do that, though, Rachel from Eupora is on the line. Good morning, Rachel. Go ahead. Hey. So I have had a couple of brushes with nature in the past few weeks uh, here in my town, and um, I saw a fox. I've seen it a couple of times. A beautiful red fox with a white tipped tail. Uh, one time it was close to a chicken coop, but another time it was just uh, crossing the street. And then I had a uh, an opportunity to see a um, possum play possum. Hmm. Uh, my dog jumped into the bushes at the front of my house and came up with a young possum, and it looked like it was dead. And I took the possum and, and put it on the ground close to my bird bath in the shade and waited and watched. And its little pink mouth was open slightly. Its little uh, pink tail was curled up perfectly like a, uh, in the shape of a seashell. And uh, he began to excrete a, a very... Un- unsavory uh, odor and flies began to gather on these uh, blue bottle flies and he stayed that way for a long time and I went back to painting my lawn chairs and in a uh, few minutes he ran past me back into the bushes hmm. that's great that's, that's you know we hear a lot about that but that's kind of cool Rachel that you sort of got to see that up close and personal yeah, I, I did, and it was very fascinating. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen one do that long enough to have flies. That's interesting. Yeah, it did the whole nine yards. It was working for him, so he stuck with it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you left him alone. Right. Yeah. All right, uh, Rachel, thanks for calling in. You know, I might have shared this on the air when it happened, but my brush with uh, possum was I went out. Uh, this was in the fall or winter time, so it was a little cold. Went out to my outside my carport is where my uh, washing and dryer uh, washing machine and dryer are and so I opened the door and turned the light on and sort of on top of the washing machine looking directly at me was a possum so I screamed he kind of did this and so it's it's one of those where I'm not sure who was more frightened of the other but neither one of us was expecting it and then as I uh, went back outside I made a lot of noise and and he was gone so but that's that has coming my most recent brush with nature that uh, you know up close and personal like that so 
Uh, we have our guest on the line, and it is the executive director of Wildlife Mississippi, James Cummins. Welcome back to the show, James. If you would tell us again about a little bit about Wildlife Mississippi and, and sort of the mission of the organization. Sure. Thank you. It's, it's such a privilege to be back on the show. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be with you all today. Wildlife Mississippi, in fact, this is our 25th year of operation. We, we were formed in, in 1997. Uh, we're primarily formed, basically, there were a lot of leaders, business leaders primarily in the state that really felt like so much of the effort in the state is, is more about land acquisition, more about the regulatory act, you know, side of things. And it's not so much about how can we look at including private land and how can we basically intertwine our environment in, in economic development and make Mississippi a better place to live, work, and raise a family. And if you look at Mississippi's losing millennials faster than any other state in the United States. So how can we do things that can retain a lot of our brain power, you know, whether that be, you know, walking trails, canoeing kayak trails, you know, generally improving the quality of life from, from an environmental perspective in the state, you know, and really working toward, you know, you know, so it's, it's toward the economic development side as well. So it's a little bit about about both of those. It, but at the end of the day, it's really about improving the quality of life in the state through our environment. All right. If you would uh, talk some about the Mississippi Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. Sure. So uh, thank you. So last year, there were a group of organizations, uh, the Nature Conservancy, Ducks Unlimited, uh, us, uh, Delta Council, Delta Wildlife and the Foundation for Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks that kind of banded together. And, and a lot of the Nature Conservancy and Ducks Unlimited had worked in a lot of these other states. And if I look at any, if I look at, at, at the federal side of conservation, there are a tremendous amount of grant funds uh, that the federal government offers. Uh, for example, in the recent infrastructure bill, there's over $500 billion of programs uh, or funding for programs that, that, improve conservation, improve our environment. You know, but if you live in a state that, that may be extremely rich in natural resources but very poor financially, our, our biggest problem is being able to raise those necessary matching funds to bring in federal funds to the state. And, for example, um, if I look at how wildlife conservation in Mississippi is funded, that's through the Pittman-Robertson Act. And, and, and interestingly, the senator, uh, the U.S. senator that, that – that co-sponsored that was Keith Pittman, uh, and he was born in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So Mississippi is, is, is you know, whether that's Fannie Cook or, or when Aldo Leopold was here, we've had a, a, a long history of supporting good conservation and being a leader nationwide in, 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 in the conservation field. Uh, but kind of looking at, we, we don't have those opportunities, financial opportunities. Uh, in it. And so if I look at Pittman-Robertson, for example, the federal government puts up $3 for every $1 the state of Mississippi puts up. So, so we're multiplying our investment by four times. So you know, if, if, if I look at that infrastructure bill, there's about you know, the $74 billion of funding that, that's applicable to the lower Mississippi Valley or Mississippi. Uh, if I look at just the five, if you take the $500 billion that's available, that's roughly $10 billion per state. So, that's a, that's a lot of opportunity to match and, and bring federal dollars down here to do good things for conservation in, in Mississippi. But we didn't have that. So 
what this program does is is create a trust fund. Uh, it's funded at a level of ten million dollars. Uh, we we actually wanted a dedicated fund that that went straight from you know tax that we pay on hunting equipment, fishing equipment, camping equipment, things like that. Anything that would go to a sporting goods store, you know, that tax would go to this fund, and and, and that would be a deferred tax. You know, so it, that would that would that would be automatic every year. We didn't get that. We we received an appropriation, so that means every year we've got to go fight for those dollars and try to get you know what what you know people that that like to hunt and fish and enjoy the outdoors and bird watch in the state you know put in and and it's a we this this group pays about 187 million a year in state and local taxes. So we got back 10 million. That's not a lot, you know. But especially if you look at the opportunity to match a huge amount of federal dollars. But look, we're still appreciative. You know, uh, it's better than nothing. You know, and that's one of the things that we're very concerned about is the level of funding uh, for natural resources in in the state. If I add up all the state agencies, Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, Department of Environmental Quality, Marine Resources, uh, Forestry Commission, and look at the general fund of the state of Mississippi, that rep- all those agencies represent 0.49% of our budget. So we don't spend a whole lot when it comes to, to conservation in this state from our general fund dollars. We'd certainly like to see that increase this, this year. You know, I'm greatly appreciative to the legislature. Uh, uh, you know, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman was 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 a, re- a super champion. We've got all of them are very passionate about conservation. Uh, Senator Harkins, uh, Senator Hobson, of, of uh, uh, Chairman Whaley, Chairman Kincaid, uh, uh, Scott Bounds, uh, Trey Lamar, and Speaker Gunn, all of them worked very very hard to get what we got this year. For ten million in the program, and then they also added about another forty million for parks. So, all of what was added this year was double what the legislature typically puts into into conservation and, and, and wildlife. But if I look and say, okay, that's nice. It's just good to know the you know a policy nerd kind of like myself, you know, pays attention to funding and all that kind of stuff. But if I'm somebody, if I'm a listener in Webster County, where you know the last caller called in, where where my cabin is. Uh, you know, if you know, she's probably wanting to know. Well, what 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 am I going to get? You know, what are you going to do for Webster County? What are you going to be doing uh, to benefit Mississippians? Well, this particular program uh, it will help. You know, fund you know biking trails, hiking trails, uh, protection of habitat uh, for wildlife and fish. Uh, you know, archaeological and, and, and cultural resources. Uh, you know, you know, help support recreation, whether that be archery. You know, camping. You know, running, jogging, biking, walking. You know, anything like that. Um, you know, so those are the types of, of you know projects. You know, Sky Lake would be a good example, which which we were able to to work with the Department of Wildlife on. Uh, you know, and it's it's in the Delta. It's got a huge stand of ancient cypress on it. But that would be a good example. I mean, places that, that are very unique. Uh, like in in Webster County, where the caller called in and, and called the the old cove has a tremendous amount of, of very unique wildlife and very unique plants uh, that occur nowhere else in the state of Mississippi, and that's right there in Webster County, for example. Uh, so those are some of the types of projects uh, uh, that, that this will fund. 
So again, so the the money from the trust fund is used to leverage those federal dollars that go into projects like that the outdoor recreational things that you were talking about. Correct. So what our intention is is to take ten million dollars in state funds, and at the end of the day, turn that into four. You know, work toward getting about thirty million in federal funds, and so we'll have about forty million dollars for the citizens of Mississippi for us to do projects statewide. You know, and we certainly don't want to, you know, want to see projects being so concentrated in in one particular area of the state. We really want to try to do a good job of 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 doing things that impact all the regions of Mississippi. Uh, and this is great work. I mean, as someone who tries to go out and enjoy the great outdoors at state parks and that sort of thing, um, this this is, is something that I think is really important and, and appreciate that, that what you are doing. If people want to know more about Wildlife Mississippi, perhaps get involved, uh, where can they go for more information? Sure. So we have we have a website. It's Wildlife Miss, W-I-L-D-L-I-F-E-M-I-S-S dot org. Uh, and they can they can learn a lot there. All right. So James Cummins, Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi, thanks for spending a few minutes uh, with us on the show this morning and kind of giving us an update of where we're going. It is time for another break. When we get back, we'll talk with about fireflies with Claire Graves, who will join the show as she preps for an upcoming firefly event at the Mississippi Craft Center. So stay tuned. If you want to report fireflies in your area or have a pet question for Dr. Major or just have an experience with nature you'd like to share with us, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB public media app. Either way, you get access to uh, uh, MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. To join our conversation this morning with your phone call, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email animals at mpbonline.org. Now on the line, we've got uh, Claire Graves, a firefly enthusiast who's spearheading an event next week where you can watch the fireflies at the Mississippi Crafts Center. So uh, good morning, Claire. Thanks for joining us. What should people expect uh, when they go on a firefly tour? Good morning, y'all. So we're excited to be offering these tours for the third year. Over at the Mississippi Craft Center, we cross over the back of the boardwalk behind the Craft Center and tour the area along the Natchez Trace where the old trace is. And so you'll see thousands of fireflies, including some of our very favorite fireflies, snappy sinks that synchronize their flashing. What uh, makes the Craft Center such a good place for firefly viewing? This is a great habitat for fireflies. It has a variety, really, of different firefly habitats. So it has the old-growth forest around the edges, 
where certain types of species really like, including our treetops that climb all the way up to the tops of the trees and flash like stars are in the trees. And then it has some open space, too, that other firefly species really like. Um, so we've seen at least seven different types of fireflies there. Um, it's a protected area, so there's limited pesticide use in that area and limited light pollution in that area. So it's really a recipe for success for a firefly. Yeah, I remember uh, talking before that the the away from light is one of the keys to really getting a good uh, firefly show. So as I mentioned, you have an event coming up. If you would, give us the details on that. Yes, absolutely. So this year we're having uh, four nights of events. The first night we're having uh, the Snappy Sync Soiree and also a firefly photography workshop. Uh, with Kim Rushing, who's coming down from the Delta to teach people about nighttime photography. Um, both of those events are sold out as of now. And then we're having three nights of public tours. You need a ticket to attend. Um, and so Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, we give tours from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. They're 20-minute tour times. And uh, you can get your ticket at um, MS Firefly Event. Dot eventbrite.com. And that's uh, that's this weekend, so that's tomorrow night, Saturday night, and Sunday night? No, it's the next okay. weekend, so it's the 19th through the 22nd. So you still have time. We've got about 100 tour tickets left. They're especially for late times, which is actually a great time to come out and see fireflies. So come out, come out at 9.30, do something a little different, and you'll really be rewarded with what, what a great show is right there in your backyard. So uh, let's take a minute and tell us how you first got interested in fireflies. Yeah, sure. So I watched some programming on the synchronous fireflies up in the Smoky Mountains and uh, really enjoyed learning about those. And then I saw an event that Libby and her husband Paul were putting on over in Clinton to see synchronous fireflies in Mississippi. And I was shocked. I didn't know we had synchronous fireflies in Mississippi. So went to their event over at the Clinton Nature Center and uh, got to see them for the first time. And I just loved them. It was wonderful. And so ever since then, that's been several years ago, I have uh, been monitoring the population over at the Craft Center. Um, and the Park Service has been really gracious and allowed me to uh, do some extra monitoring out there and learn about the firefly species that are right there behind the Craft Center on the Trace side. Um, and it's just a lot of fun to share something that is so unusual and brings a lot of joy to people. And so wanted to find a way to share it with more people who don't know about them. And now I have people who come every year to the tours and, and have shared it with their family and friends. You know, I might do a shout-out, Claire, to um, Judy Foster. She's a weaver in the Craftsman's Guild, and she's yeah. the one that first figured out that she had synchronous fireflies close to her house because she heard us in 2015 talking about them on this radio show, Kevin. Mm -hmm. And she went out that night and sure enough, she had them and she lives close to the, um, to the craft center. So she went out there and called us and said, they've got them over there. That would, wouldn't that be a great combination? And all we had to do was mention that to Claire one time and you made it all happen. <laughs> yeah. It's been a great fun. I've had lots of awesome help. Um, some members of the Craft Center board and staff there who've really supported it and Visit Ridgeland, other great sponsors of this event. And it's something unique uh, that Mississippi should be proud of. And 
Uh, we've had people come from several different states to see the fireflies right there. Um, and this year we'll have about 600 people come through. So, Clint, from previous uh, shows when we've talked about uh, fireflies, I think I remember that firefly and lightning bug can pretty much be used interchangeably, and it might be kind of what part of the country you're from. But what exactly is a firefly? You're exactly right, Kevin. So it's just different words for the same beetle. Um, Fireflies are a type of beetle, um, and they are special in that they have the ability to glow. Um, Really and truly, not all firefly species glow, but the ones that we have in Mississippi do. Um, and so they have the ability to glow at multiple stages of their life cycle even, so as larvae or fireflies glow as well. Um, but they're really uh, interesting in that they have a very short adult lifespan. So firefly adults are only out for about two to three weeks. It's a very short period of their life. The rest of their time they're down in the dirt or down into the leaves, growing and eating and all those things and then uh, eventually they pupate and become adults and that's what we are really clued into is just that short period of time so uh, how many different species of fireflies are kind of typical in in the in the tours so in our tours you'll see probably about six um i saw a new species i had not seen before this year out there so i've seen at least seven different species there are probably more um, and, you know, as you spend time out there, you're able to identify more fireflies that you can identify by their uh, flash pattern, so the timing of their flashes, and then their flash color. So fireflies, different species have different colors to their flash, from blue to green to orange to yellow. Um, and then also the kind of the zone in which they fly, so how high off the ground they're flying and their habitat. Do they like to be in an open space? Do they like to be in tree cover? So that's how we're identifying these different firefly species out at this particular area. And I've used Lynn Fireson Faust's guidebook, Firefly Guidebook, to really point me into understanding what I'm seeing out there. Um, And I'm just an amateur, so I've learned it uh, just by being out there, spending time and learning uh, from others who are way ahead of me, like Libby and Paul and communicating with Lynn, and it's been a really fun journey to learn about the different types of fireflies, and we'll teach people about the different species that they're seeing out on these tours. Uh, But also, I guess you really do have to keep your eyes open, because I think, uh, as you mentioned, maybe some of them might be at the tops of the trees, but others might be uh, closer down to the ground. That's exactly right. So, especially in this particular area where we give these tours, you have the opportunity to see all the different kind of heights at which the fireflies are out there in that space because there's good open area and you can really see all the way up to the trees. There's also this one magnolia tree out there that fireflies really love. And I think that that's kind of a firefly uh, special home over there. And so we go out there and take a look around that area. So you'll see slow glows, uh, treetops. We might see some um, flash bulbs up in the very top of the tree that look like cameras flashing. Um, just it's really exciting it, it's a whole um, kind of immersion into the firefly world so uh, what do fireflies do during the day and would we ever be able to see one or are they much somewhat secretive during the day a little bit secretive during the day so they are kind of resting up for their nighttime activities um, but they hide down in the grass <laughs> Whoop. 
All right. Uh, sorry, Claire. We've had a little bit of issue uh, with the with the phone lines there. But um, Libby, what do they kind of look like if if you were to be able to see them during the day? Oh, um, well, they they're a, they're a little beetle, and they're kind of a dark gray to blackish, and uh, different um, markings along the 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 elytra, which is the outer wing of a beetle. It's the harder wing, you know. Kind of if you pick up a beetle, you don't even notice that they have wings so much because they're folded down. A lot of them will have some yellow markings on there, and then they tend to have yellow and red, different combinations of yellow and red on their face area. And they all have a similar body type. Interestingly enough, uh, things like uh, Paractamina are um, those big treetop flashers, and they have a bright light or a lantern. We call it a lantern. And if you flip a firefly over and you'll see uh, a little area on their lower abdomen that, that kind of looks, even when they're not, Flashing, you can tell that that's the part that would light up. It's you know, it kind of looks like a, almost like a neon light bulb, that kind of thing. And so, your uh-huh. personal experience again, the first time you and Paul saw them, it was just kind of piqued your curiosity and, and went from there. Oh yeah, it was like we we were really lucky, incredibly lucky. I, I that um we went into the woods just I think. Almost peak night. They got a little better a couple of nights after that, but it was 2015, and I always tell the story. It was two young girls that were at our house with their mother, who's a biologist, and our daughter was a grad student working for her. So uh, there were, I guess, um, six adults on the porch, screen porch, about 9 o'clock at night, a little bit later, and... Uh, the two girls were playing in the woods, and they came running up and kept saying, you've got to come see this, you've got to come see this. And we were like, what is it? Fireflies, fireflies, and lightning bugs. I think they really use that term. And uh, we said, we can see them from here, you know, because we could just see the edge of the woods and kind of see some lights. And they said, no, when you get in the woods, it's different. We thought you would hung Christmas lights (laughs) and so we went with them and it was almost dizzying it was like strobe lights they were so um, bright and flashing all together and you know immediately we start trying to take pictures with our phones and start looking them up and um, Lynn Faust had found them at Waldoxie State Park in Mississippi a few years before but she was in the process of publishing the book and it didn't come out for another few months but again because we talked about it on the radio the next day uh you know people started calling in that had seen them judy foster first and then um lynn faust got in touch with us and said i've heard you're talking about synchronous fireflies i've only found them in north mississippi and because uh, she had found them all around north carolina and tennessee in that area so um of course they're Plenty of people that had said, I've seen them, but I I didn't know that. Some people said, I didn't know that was not what they all did. And some people said, you know, I never really thought about them blinking together. I thought it was just a coincidence. And that's kind of, we had seen some blink together at the same time when there were a lot of them. But we had stayed on the edge of the woods. You know, we weren't going out there at 9 o'clock at night. Uh, and it was it's just for two weeks, and that's... Uh, you know, kind of a mosquitoy warm time. So uh, that was, it happened to be on Mother's Day when we saw the first ones here. So I think central Mississippi, Mother's Day is about 
the the hallmark of when they start coming out. So, uh, do we do we do get we have Claire, Claire back? back? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm back. Great. Okay. Yay. Uh, Claire, before we let you go, if you would, uh, again, and you've got an event coming up next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which is the, what is it, the 19th? Am I right on the d- the day of the month? Yeah, 19th. That's right, the 19th through the 22nd. And like I say, we've still got about 100 tickets left. So if this is a family-friendly event, Fireflies Not Scared of Noise, Bring Your Kids. And um, it's been a really fun thing to share with people. See a lot of multi-generational families come out and enjoy the fireflies together, make a special memory together. So um, you can get your ticket um, at msfireflyevent.eventbrite.com. And the tickets for the tours are $8. Um, and you'll just come to the craft center and park, and we'll have volunteers there to check in and uh, get you going. It's a 20-minute tour. Uh, so you t- sign up for a certain time, and you'll you'll have a master naturalist, Mississippi master naturalist, as your guide uh, to tell you about the fireflies and help you spot them. All right, so it's MS Firefly Event uh, Singular or Events? Just one event. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dot Event Bright, and it's B-R-I-T-E, I think, isn't it? That's right. Okay, so MS Firefly Event eventbrite.com tickets are $8 and it's a week from tomorrow Saturday and Sunday that's right you can also find us on Facebook at Mississippi Firefly Tours All right. so that's another great place to get your info thanks for sharing that with us this morning uh, Claire glad to have you on the show with us it's time for the last break of the hour Uh, If you've started to see fireflies around your area, give us a call. There's still time also to get your questions answered and to talk about your encounters with nature. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap things up after this with Sam from Brookhaven. He's on the line. We'll get to that question right after this break. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. We're back on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. If you want to join the conversation, still time to work in a quick phone call at one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one 672 And you can always email animals at mpbonline.org. As promised, Sam's been holding on the line from Brookhaven. And Sam, you're on the air with us now, so go ahead. Yes, good morning. I'd like to quickly relate to you a story told me by... Uh work colleague with a three-question follow-up. And the gist of the story is this. He was walking across the work campus to a building, and he noticed at the base of the building, one of the walls, there was a tiny baby bird still alive, too young to fly, at the base of the wall. And he looked up, and he saw a crevice with an overhang, uh, underneath the overhang where the nest, like, the nest itself likely, likely existed and from which the bird likely fell. So he said, look, the baby bird's falling out of the nest. So he goes inside the building, and Beckons, a work colleague, got to take a look and thinking perhaps they can figure out a way to return the baby bird to the desk. And she gives them two pieces of information. She says, first of all, the baby bird did not fall out of the nest. It was thrown out of the nest. <clears throat> it thrown out of the nest? And she said, yes. And she said, um, 
You see that black feathered bird there? Well, that bird didn't build the nest. What they do as a species is they go around looking for existing nests, and they find uh, a nest, and they kick out, uh, run out the adult um, occupant of the nest, and they kick out the baby birds. So he was really incredulous and found that pretty difficult to believe. So the question I have is, are there species of birds which actually are kind of marauding in that way? And do they exist in Mississippi, and what are they called? Yes, to all those questions, yes. Um, Brown-headed cowbirds, I had two right by my porch this morning, right by where the prothonotary warbler eggs just hatched. And uh, luckily, we've got a—it's a, a small enough uh, nesting box, and it's a swinging nesting box because, it, you know, it's hanging by a, a rope, and um, it, the hole is very tiny to get in them. But, and, you know, it's hard to—what to say about bird life. It's, it's hard not to label them as the bad guys, of course, but um, it's the way they're made. They— they don't have any idea how to do life any other way. Brown-headed cowbirds parasitize the nests of warblers. And if the populations are in balance, the idea is that everything's going to work out okay. But it's hard not to, you know, I, I, I didn't do anything to the brown-headed cowbirds. I'm not sure I could have anyway. There, But uh, what the, the only thing I would change maybe in that story is I don't think I think they're sneaky about it and that the adult birds are not usually aware that of what they're doing like when the, they'll wait till the adult birds are gone from the nest is the way I've always read it and been told it and then they will lay their egg amongst those babies and throw out a um, an egg and their egg's a little bit bigger, but usually it's even color-coordinated with whatever they're preying on. Maybe they have prey species. And um, there are different kinds of um, predatory birds that do things differently in other parts of the world. And um, I'm only familiar with the brown-headed cowbirds because that's what we have in Mississippi. But then when the baby cowbird hatches, the cowbird baby will throw out usually another baby. If, uh, you know, if, if there needs to be room in the nest. So it kind of goes on and on. So but, maybe just yeah. a family of bullies. <laughs> I guess so. But then again, you know, it's like this is the way they live. You know, we don't, you know, you don't blame the snake for eating the mouse, I guess, or most of us don't. I used to have some young volunteers at the museum that sometimes did. But um, it's... It's the way they live. I think our responsibility as humans, but yes, I would have tried to put the baby bird probably back in that nest if I could have. But, um, I, you know, I don't, I, I've not been interfering in those kinds of things in my yard. And I, I think basically it's our job to observe. But you want to create a habitat that is, um, is welcoming to those native species. And brown-headed cowbirds are one of the things that are native here. But um, there are some things you can do, and you can look online, some guidelines about. But one of the, the important things that I, I think that I can do is provide nesting places, nesting cavities in boxes that are made with a small enough hole that the brown-headed cowbirds can't get in. So I'm giving the prothonotaries a 
you know, a, a better chance of surviving. Because of that, I think I've, I've got a lot of um, prothonotary warblers. So you can do those kinds of things in a, a positive nature. It's, you know, it's technically against the law to kill any native bird, so you're really not supposed to kill cowbirds. And if you tried to kill them, I'm not sure what you would do that wouldn't hurt something else. You know, you don't want to poison seed or anything like that. They come to my bird feeders sometimes and eat those same seeds that they're um you know that the um, other birds eat and like I say they are native birds to this country cuckoos uh, uh, many species of cuckoo do the same thing or a similar kind of thing if you read about cuckoos but our um, our uh, yellow-billed cuckoo is not parasitizing nests so some people blame them for things that the brown-headed cowbird is doing I guess but um, it's a you know, it's a crazy world out there for birds and people. All right, uh, Sam, appreciate the call. And I, there was an old uh, a- advertisement on for a, a, a video or something. It's like, that's why they call them animals, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're one too, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guests, James Cummins and Claire Graves, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned, because up next, it's AutoCorrect. And we'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.